I like I like how even in a video about the Dodgers we got the Cubs in there. Thought Joanne would like that. Welcome to New Life. I am Mark Myers, the pastor here. We are going to dismiss transition. Not we won't dismiss them, we will transition them. Our young people K through fifth grade to a children's experience tailored to them during this next few minutes. They may follow Miss Whitney in the chaos. I mean, in the, in the chaos of here, not in the chaos where you're going. There's order and stuff there. In here, it's just a little chaos. Want to make sure uh, if you are here, that you uh, make sure you uh, register your attendance in one of our registration pads. If you are a guest to New Life or you do not receive our e-newsletter, which would be every Thursday at 6 p.m., Please tear off one of these, fill that out, and put that in the offering bucket in just a few minutes, or hand it to me after worship, or Jeff, or Jamie, or anyone who you think might be able to get that to us, and uh, we will be able to do that. Uh, We are continuing our family and friends campaign. Make sure everyone knows what we are doing, why we're doing it, and all of that. Uh, So we've been talking about it for a few weeks. There's stuff available outside on the information desk. If you feel like you are taking the last amount, don't worry. There's plenty of other stuff. Uh, We've prepared a lot of it, uh, so we don't think we'll run out. Family and friends campaign. Uh, Because we are a new faith community, because uh, we do not have the critical mass to necessarily support our ministry by ourselves, although we are doing a lot better than I think most of us expected, um, we do a fundraising campaign uh, to um, our family and friends to encourage them to support us. Just like your family and friends ask you to buy Girl Scout cookies and ask you to support the Red Cross and ask you to buy, um, I don't know, candy bars and, you know, whatever their kids are selling this week. Yeah, and just your coworkers and everything else. We are asking you to ask them to invest in you by investing in new life and the work we do. So uh, it's very simple. We have an envelope. Inside that envelope, you put a letter. You put your friend's name on it. You don't have to write much. Inside that letter, you put a little envelope with a little card that talks about the campaign. Put a stamp on the little envelope. Put a stamp on the little envelope. Why do we do that? Guilt. That's right. It's the greatest force in the world. No. Um, But we know when you put a stamp on it, people are more likely to send it back. Even if they send it back and saying, you know, we can't support you right now, but thank you, and maybe they get connected, maybe they get on our newsletter, whatever. Uh, It's just another way. Put a stamp on the outside. Write it from you to them. Not from New Life, from you to them. They are investing in you, not me, not anything else, because you are involved in this ministry and you want to see it succeed. You want to see it maybe go past next year. um, And you would like to um, do that. So uh, we're still going to be doing that um, throughout the month of October. So make sure you get those. Make sure you are sending as many as you can to all your family and friends. Don't overthink it. Just do it. This is a great way that we have to support our ministry without doing monthly turkey suppers. Do not want to do turkey suppers. Please, for the love of all that is good, do this so we don't have to do turkeys. I love turkey suppers. I don't want to do them. I want to go to them and support other churches who do that. I do not want to take our energy, which is used to make disciples, to make turkey. You're with, you're with me. Okay, good. That's okay. We're all 
it's kind of a weird day outside. We don't know what's going on. We're all together now. No turkeys, family and friends. Good. Okay, great. <laughs> we're going to... Woo! Um, we're going to take our, uh, our, our offering for tonight uh, as we've changed a little things. And while we do, we're going to listen to uh, our brother Charlie talk a little bit about being a fan and being a follower. Uh, so I'll ask uh, those uh, gentlemen back there to collect the offering, and uh, we'll see what Charlie has to say. Favorite team is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Been a Dodger fan since 1953. Uh, I picked the Dodgers as a favorite team because everybody's favorite team here in the Midwest was Chicago Cubs and Ernie Banks, and I look for a player with the name Charlie and. There was a Charlie Neal in the Brooklyn Dodgers, and I've been hooked ever since. I, I feel good about our team this year, finally. It's the uh, first time since maybe 1988 that we'll be in the World Series and win it. Uh, and I can remember my, my first glove. People have asked me why I've been so involved in baseball, because my dad had me out playing at three. At five, I joined an organized team, and it was Klein's drugstore, grocery store. And because I played ball every day from the time the sun went up to the time the sun went down, I was fortunate enough and God had blessed me with enough talents that I'd probably made every all-star team I could. Uh, at age 14, I just decided, well, I'm going to give this up and try something else. And um, I had always wanted to be a major league ball player, but I think by the time I got to 14, I realized that that was slim and none. Oh. 17 years ago, I changed uh, changed my passion in from watching sports constantly into uh, being involved with the State Lion Crop Hunger Walk. Uh, this will be our 19th annual walk. I'm involved, I think, 17 years of that. And the reason it means so much to me, Jeff, is that there's just so much need, need of this community, United States, the whole world. There's just too much hunger going on, and I feel that we can make a difference. 25% of what we raise goes back to the Old Stone Church Food Pantry. Uh, we've now developed a true state line crop walk. We've involved, or are in process involving two or three or four Bloyd churches, and their proceeds are going to go to uh, Caritas and Bloyd. Um, what, what I think pushes me or motivates me is the fact that there's every day 16,000 children die of hunger-related causes, and that's one every five seconds. Each year, almost 11 million children under age five die, most of preventable causes. That's one every three seconds. Two million children die each year from infectious infections spread by dirty water and lack of access to decent sanitation. And I heard a report once that if we line people up from New York to L.A., and back twice, it'd be the number of people using a, a food pantry. And I think most people are within two, two calls away from being in the same boat. The husband loses a job and his insurance. He gets a call from his wife from the doctor. She's got some incurable cancer. Um, people don't want handouts. They just want hands up and just to get them, get them through. And, I tend to think I'm a follower most of the time. Uh, I, I try my best to do 
what's expected of me to be a follower. I know I fall short, probably more often than I would like, uh, and I beat myself up when I don't achieve, achieve the expectations I think he would have for me. And I've been told I shouldn't, shouldn't beat myself up like that, but I'm truly a follower most of the time. I, I do slip. Uh, I'm, I'm reading a book, not a fan. And if you really take that to heart and know that Jesus is really standing next to you, sees everything you do and everything you say, and if you can keep that in the back of your mind, things don't slip like they sometimes do. And a lot of your actions change. Um, it's a constant battle. Um, I know that uh, I read one time, there's two things God's going to ask you. What did you do with my son? And what did you do with what I gave you? Your skills, your ambitions, your tools. And it's going to be tough to answer that one. You know, uh, I know the answer on the first one is that you've got to be a follower. You know, you've got to go out and share the gospel with those around you. And you've got to realize that you can do that, that your words will be God's words. But sometimes you need a real good swift kick in the hind end to do that. And I know about the skills and the uh, opportunities and the, the things that you can do. I've been trying to do, whether it's been through crop walk or the missions team or uh, you, you name it. But I still got a ways to go. But I, if there's a halfway mark, I'm on the other the front side of being a follower. And I'm working as hard as I can to get to that. Mm -hmm. Yes, I am a follower, 100%, no doubt. But I got a ways to go. Obviously, I needed to watch the video before worship, not Charlie. <laughs> Apologize for that. Thank you, Charlie. Let us have a word of prayer. Lord, we just invite you into this time, into this place. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit upon us now, that you just fill us with your uh, love and passion, your grace and mercy. Help us uh, just be opened up to hear your word, to approach the cross and understand how to follow you in all things we do. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Comfort. We, uh, we live in a very comfortable society. Actually, I think our, our society has become a, a comfort culture over the last few years. And if you don't believe me, you just have to look to something called glamping. Has anybody heard of glamping? It's new to me just in the last few weeks. I listen to the AM radio. I don't want to brag. But this is what I heard about, and I, I did some research on it, and I thought I'd share it with you today. Glamping, and I quote, this is from the official website, is short for glamorous camping. It's a way to experience the splendor of the outdoors without foregoing the creature comforts you can't live without. When you're glamping, and listen to this, there's no tent to pitch. There's no sleeping bags to unroll. There's no fire to build. Whether in a tent 
a yurt, which is a thing, an airstream, a hut, a villa, or a treehouse. Glamping is a way to experience the great outdoors without sacrificing luxury. Wow, that sounds nice, right? So let me show you one of the glamping tents in uh, Minnesota, right here in um, the United States. So this is the tent. Um, yeah, it's a tent. Uh, let's go to the next one. Here's the bedroom. This is a tent. Uh, let's see the dining room. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful, though, isn't it? Gotta love Montana. And, and here, just to... This is a tent. Here's the bathroom. That is nicer than my bathroom. I'm pretty sure that's nicer than most of our bathrooms. Okay, so glamping. So in this particular site, the glamp site, breakfast and lunch are served every day at the nearby casual cafe, and dinner is served nightly at the five-star on-site restaurant. If you want the authentic feel of a chuck wagon meal served right outside your tent, you can have that for a small fee. Tents, this tent, starts at $1,000 a night, in case anyone was wondering. Now, do you see what's happened here? We like the idea of being outdoors. We like the idea of roughing it. We like the idea of getting back to nature. But we don't like doing any of the work. We don't like sleeping on the ground. We don't like pooping in the woods. We don't like heating up beans over a fire we made. We don't like camping because it's not comfortable. And so we've created, and you should go to, it's www.glamping.com. That's G-L-A-M-P-I-N-G.com. You should see, some, this is not the nicest of, by far, of the things. Um, but this is just one here in the United States. We've done this kind of thing, making something that's not supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to be authentic. It's supposed to be rich. It's supposed to be fulfilling. And we've made it comfortable. Think about it. Going to the bathroom outside, going uh, miles to get water, that was uncomfortable. So what did we do? We invented indoor plumbing. Summer heat, unbearable. Central air conditioning. Physical media, books, even CDs, DVDs, paper. It's cumbersome. So what did we do? We created digital media. Unfortunately, this comfort culture has penetrated our faith. I recently was uh, preaching at a church uh, here in our, in our district where there was very hard wooden pews. There was no indoor plumbing and there was no air conditioning. And this was in the summer. Most of us wouldn't put up with that. So what have we created? Spaces with very comfortable chairs, cooled and heated buildings, the coffee's always fresh. We've made our churches comfortable, but it goes beyond just our space. Our Bibles have become comfortable. They're soft to hold. The pages are easy to turn. I have indices on mine so that tabs so that I never have to know where Nahum is. 
Ironically, when I sat down in my office uh, just before worship, I opened my Bible and immediately opened to Nahum, which is in the Old Testament, um, before I wrote this, or, or uh, after I wrote this. So it was a little creepy, and Nahum's not a passage you want to read pretty much ever. It's kind of creepy. Um, and, and it's a downer. I don't know. What's up with that, right? No. Um, yeah, read Nahum this week. It's good times. But it goes deeper. Our teachings become padded. Our following becomes padded. And our churches a lot of times become social clubs or other non-for-profits that are just uh, trying to do good work. And eventually Jesus just becomes another moral figure to follow. But in Luke 9.23, our kind of theme verse for this series, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's what Jesus says. So what do comfort, craving fans do to the cross? How do they live with the cross? After all, how can you be Christian and ignore the cross? Well, unfortunately, fans have made a way to make the cross comfortable. We throw around phrases like, well, that's just my cross to bear. And we say that uh, in reference to just the most menial task or slight inconvenience. The cross gets pushed back in our mind and, and we don't really even hear about it until Easter. And a lot of churches, because they go straight from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, never even have time to reflect on that Good Friday, on that cross event. Sure, fans wear crosses around their necks. They have t-shirts with crosses and bumper stickers with crosses. But they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. After all, it's a pretty hard thing to sell. It's bad enough that Jesus had to suffer and die on a cross. But now Jesus is telling us we have to take up our own cross? That is not the kind of statement that gets people to return to church. That's not the kind of statement that gets butts in the seats. And isn't that what we're supposed to be about? Sharing the gospel to the most people possible? Here's what Paul has to say in uh, the first letter to the Corinthians, if you have your Bibles with you, comfortable or not. I'll be reading from the uh, Common English Bible. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 27. It's going to be on the screen as well. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed. But it is the power of God for those of us who are being saved. It is written in Scripture, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will reject the intelligent of the intelligent. Where are the wise? Where are the legal experts? Where are today's debaters? Hasn't God made the wisdom of the world foolish? In God's wisdom, God determined that the world wouldn't come to know Him through its wisdom. Instead, God was pleased to save those who believed through the foolishness of preaching. Jews ask for signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a scandal to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Look at your situation and where you're called, brothers and sisters. By ordinary standards, not many are wise, not many are powerful. Not many were from the upper class. But God chose what this world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what considered the world considered weak to shame 
the strong. The Apostle Paul, who was not a fan of making fans, (laughs) and never did that, believe me, if you read his letters, is writing to the church in Corinth and telling them that the cross may be foolishness to those who are not in Christ. Now, in the first century when he's writing right after uh, Jesus' life, the cross was a terrible symbol. Crosses lined highways in the Roman Empire, and there upon them, rotting and decaying, were the foolish remains of sinners, thieves, anyone who Rome thought was less than desirable. And even in our, in our most upsetting pictures, even in our most upsetting crucifixes, even in those things like passion of the Christ that make us cringe, we do not have the kind of understanding of the pain and humiliation that the cross meant. So it was bad enough that Christ had to die on a cross. It was bad enough that anybody had to die on a cross. But the message, the gospel message, that God incarnate came to earth and then suffered and died and was humiliated on a cross in weakness to save the world, that was pretty hard to swallow. Now the people of Paul's time would have been abhorred by the uh, act that we do of wearing a cross around our neck or seeing a cross on their wall. It was an awful, terrible, ugly thing. It would be like now in, contemporary, in our contemporary world uh, for one of us to wear an electric chair or a firing squad or a lethal injection chamber on our neck or have a picture of it in our house when you came in and came over for dinner. It was that disturbing. But that's kind of the point. God took something that was ugly and made it beautiful. God takes something with no honor, with no glory, with complete humiliation and transforms it. God finds the least likely symbol for love and says, yeah, I'll use that. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to the Greeks. Who else but God? could take a cross that represented defeat and turn it into a symbol of victory. Who else but God could take a cross that represented guilt, which we talked about earlier, and turn it into a symbol of grace? Who else but God could take a cross that represented condemnation and turn it into a symbol of freedom? Who else but God could take a cross that represented pain, suffering, and torture and turn it into a symbol that meant healing and hope? Who else but God could take a cross that ultimately meant death and turn it into a symbol of everlasting life. No one but God. What seemed like the ultimate moment of weakness for God turned into be the ultimate moment of strength and power and glory. Now that's not just a good story. That's not just a nice tale to tell. That's not just a, a nice illustration. That is something vital for us today. The one thing I want you to know, the one thing I want you to take from the lesson of the cross today, the one thing I want you to take from this message tonight, if nothing else, is this. What God did for the cross, God can do for you. God can do for each one of us. When you are at your weakest, you are exactly where you need to be for God to be strong. 
Paul says, God chose what was the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong. God didn't use the cross in spite of its weakness. God used the cross because of its weakness. Paul later talks in uh, the second letter to Corinthians in chapter 12. More on this. He says, It was said to me, My grace is enough for you, because power is made perfect in weakness. So I'll gladly spend my time bragging about my weakness so that Christ's power can rest on me. Therefore, I'm all right with weakness, insults, disasters, harassments, stressful situations for the sake of Christ. Because when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul actually says, I'm okay with being weak. He actually says, I'm going to brag about being weak. How many of us would do that? How many of us are okay, first and foremost, with being weak? Then how many of us would actually brag about our weakness? Yes, some of you are shaking your heads no, and I'll give you a good example if you think you would say yes. Imagine yourself at a job interview, and inevitably this question comes up. What's your greatest weakness? What do you answer? Well, I'm a procrastinator. I'm not going to ever show up to work on time. I don't work well with others. I'm an alcoholic. I'm going to use the company computer to check Facebook 400 times a day. No, you don't say that. You would be stupid to say that. And what do you do? And what you should do, because how our world is, is you come up with weaknesses that sound like strengths. I'm a perfectionist. I'm a workaholic. I'm too generous with my time. The world doesn't want weakness. The person interviewing you doesn't really want to hear about your weakness. Maybe there's some companies out there like that. Maybe. (laughs) If you're going for an interview... Don't tell them your weaknesses. I'm just throwing it out there. That's not what I'm talking about. Strength in this world is strength. That's why there are thousands of books coming out every year that tell you just to do that. We call them self-help books. How to be strong, how to be better, how to be the best you can be. It's another way to think about it. Uh, Jennifer and I sometimes get asked uh, how how we can... um, how we can be foster parents. Uh, like it takes some kind of great strength or, or fortitude. It really doesn't. Actually, it's fairly easy. Uh, you, you all who have children know that when your child is a baby, although they cry, we talked about that last week, when your child is a baby, they are fully dependent on you. They are exceptionally weak. And so you're strong. And so it's easy for us with our Uh, close to 20-month-old daughter who uh, is still weak, who's still helpless, who uh, every day we fall more and more in love with because she is so much in need of us, both to meet her needs, both to get her strong, both to see her succeed, but also to find justice in her life. So that's easy. That's not hard. Now, my other child, on the other hand who is almost three, 
Daddy loves you, but I'm going to talk about you for a minute. He drives me crazy. Because as he turns three, he's trying to get more and more independent. And if you don't believe in sin, you've obviously never had a toddler live in your house. Because when they try to do things, they inevitably mess them up. And we all do the same thing. They screw up and they make a mess of things. Because they're trying to do it themselves. They're trying to be in control. They're trying to assert their strength, their wisdom. But ultimately, when he fails, when he falls, he comes to us. And when he's weak, we're strong. That's the example. That's the test of what it means to be a fan or a follower. Are you willing, like Christ was, to be weak? To trust enough in God to let your weakness become God's strength? Because when we're willing to let go of our comfort, our need to be in control, our need to be strong, God can do for us what God did for the cross. God can do for us amazing things. God takes followers that are hanging by a thread and bolsters their spirits. God takes weaknesses, and just look at the Bible, weak, silly people, and does amazing things. God takes our defeats and can turn them into victorious testimonies for others to come to Christ. So as we end tonight, and as we consider our question, are you a fan or a follower? Think of these things on our last slide here. Fans want comfort. Fans want to be strong. But followers carry their cross. And ultimately, death turns into life. Let us have a moment of prayer as we transition to our time of forwarding and praise. Lord, we just again thank you. We just thank you for this beautiful week, for a, a streak of sunshine we've not seen in this area for a few years. It bolsters our spirits, makes us a little, a little happier. And even though we approach... Uh, some times of overcastness and darkness. We ask that you continue to bolster our spirits, not because it's sunshiny or rainy or whatever. We ask that you just send your spirit in us now. That you keep us strong, that you make all of those weak moments strong moments. You turn all our defeats into victories. You turn all our moments of death into moments of life. We ask now that you just truly be with our world, our comfort-craving world. Help us realize that there's more to comfort. That the goal of life is not to crave a more comfortable lifestyle, but to crave to be a follower of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that you be with all of the leaders of our world, the leaders of this nation, the leaders of our community, help all of them bring us to your kingdom in a real way. We ask that you be with all of our servants, our military men and women serving overseas and at home, 
our police officers, our firefighters, our emergency workers and medical personnel, those who are working on our roads and highways, those who are working in our yards, those who are going to keep our streets plowed when the snow comes and our heat on when there's trouble. Be with all those who serve us in ways we neglect, our servants at the grocery store, at our favorite restaurant, at the pizza ranch tonight. Help us serve in all that we do. Make us servant leaders. Lord, we ask that you be with the hungry. It's a silly problem that we should have fixed long ago. Help us continue to speak for those who go without. Help us champion them and help us feed them, clothe them, nurture, protect them. Help us fight for justice for those who have never known love. Help us show love to those who don't deserve it. Lord, we ask that you be with your church. Help us truly be one as you are one. Strengthen the ministry here. Make us disciples who follow. Make us be your children. We pray this year.